Are you unable to concentrate on the tasks at hand? Do you need help focusing more or leveling up your game? Here's a tip. Try Cognizant Citicoline, clinically studied to support mental energy, focus, memory, and attention. Cognizant supports brain health and supplies the brain with the energy it needs to stay sharp. Cognizant is a leading nootropic featured in over 200 products. This podcast is powered by Cognizant. Visit Cognizant.com to learn more and find a product to help you fuel your day. Ready to achieve great heights? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Power Your Performance, the podcast where we dive deep with leaders in the gaming world and beyond and learn the techniques they use to power their lives. I am your host, Gary Kleinman. Power Your Performance, powered by Cognizant, welcomes Robert Owens. How are you? Hey, good. Happy uh, Friday morning to you. Um, is it Friday or Thursday? Oh, it's Thursday. You're right. <laughs> I know we're in a different time zone, but I didn't think it was that far. Oh, um, you're right. It's, 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 I'm a, it's been a busy week. It is, it is. Well, you're in Mammoth, so maybe it's the elevation. It's the altitude. It's a little, it's little the light altitude. headed this, you know. Yeah, uh, and and I love Mammoth as we talked uh, recently. We used to have a place there, and and I think my my kids' fondest memories were not only learning to ski, but the summers up there and hiking sure. and fishing and and what have you. So, Robert, you're you're a man of of significant talents across a wide variety of disciplines, not the least of which is health, wellness, exercise. Tell me where it all started. You know, it started probably getting adopted out of the out of the orphanage. I was born at St. Joseph's Hospital in Orange, California, and put into a holding tank. And when I was a, when I was adopted, my mom was a PE teacher, UCLA grad, Wellesley Masters, and she was a jock. And my dad was an academic, but my mom said, "You know, you're going to be healthy." And I was a disabled child, which meant that I couldn't run. And it was pretty nice that they went to a place and picked up a disabled kid versus a normal, healthy kid. And they brought me home, worked on my feet, my ankles. And I finally got to run at about sixth grade. And my mom said to me, you're going to be, you're going to be healthy. And so she threw me in a pool because we were raised at the beach. And so I took to the water and I, I just worked on working on me. As it turned out later, since I have no background, no history, medically especially, I don't want to lose my hair or any of that stuff. I've had doctors most of my life say to me, hey, Robert, if you want to have the best health insurance in the world, it's stay healthy. And so I have tried to stay healthy because it's worked for me. And even when I got COVID the first time back in the very beginning of, of February of 20, the doctor said to me, the reason that you're doing so well with COVID is because you don't have any pre-existing conditions, you're healthy. And so I look at my life and health has always been a part, as well as my dad played tennis and went up for a serve when he was about 40 and his back locked up or seized up. And wouldn't you know, while I'm off of college, they take out my bed in my bedroom and they put 
a new brand new hospital bed uh-huh. in my bedroom. He could either go to the hospital or he could buy a hospital bed. So how much of the special needs and or adoption combined drove a lot of your thinking and achievement? You know, I think an awful lot. I think that people who have issues have issues. <laughs> and so I think, you know, playing by yourself at school, when everybody else is playing, and then when they finally say, you know, you can run, you can play with everybody, and the kids go, do we have to take him? <laughs> you know, you get tired of that rejection stuff, and you just find a way to win. So I think that there's a lot of subconscious issues that I've worked on a lot in my life, but I've channeled most of that into, well, I wonder if, I wonder if, as Goggins would say, you know, what if? And so I've done a lot of what ifs because I've had the right people challenge me to attempt and to try to do things. And it was because, especially when men took interest in me, especially coaches, and they began to speak, you know, life into me saying, you know, you're a really good athlete. You're just lazy and undisciplined. And so you need to get your act together in school and working out. And if you'll apply yourself, you'll be surprised at what you can do. And so that turned out to be so. Well, certainly, because, you know, to become the, the Air Force equivalent of Navy SEALs is pretty impressive. Right. I mean, that's not an easy thing to do. What the, the story on that is that in high school, I became a beach lifeguard and I lifeguarded for San Clemente. And there were some pararescue reservists who were lifeguards and they were reservists out of March Air Force Base at Riverside. Yeah. And they were a cut above any of the other kids that I saw. I mean, they were just more focused, more disciplined, more excellent. And they went off all the time to their maneuvers on weekends and stuff. And they came back and over the years I watched them and they, they finally said to me, Hey, Hey Owens, you need to change your life. You need to become a pararescuer. And I said, I don't have special ops in me. And they said, yeah, you do. You just don't understand. And I said, okay, so what do you see? They said, if you'll do what we tell you to do for the next six months, if you'll just go dark, no girls, no weed, no booze, no partying. If you'll just do what we say and let us coach you and train you for the next six months, you'll do fine. And so I needed a change in my life. And so I took them up on it and I dropped out of society. And all I did was let them yell at me and make me run the beach and stairs in and out of the water, all that kind of stuff. And uh, they want to see the calluses on my hands. <laughs> they want to see the blood blisters, all that stuff. Anyway, when I did go in, I went in active duty and we had a class of 150 and we graduated seven. Wow. And of the, and of the seven, they made me team leader. And so I was standing here with those other seven. Plus we had some guys that were rollbacks from the other classes that had been injured. So the whole, the whole class was 16, but originally of our class was about seven. And so, the seven of us were standing there going, we're all the good guys. We're all the studs. We're all the big, the big guys. And the key was that they had not mentally. They may have been good physically, but their heads were weak. And the mind quits before the body does. And so most people 
we find that are really, really good athletes, they get rocked pretty easy because they don't know what to do if they're not that good athlete. When all of a sudden they find themselves being mortal, they begin to question themselves, like, what's happening to me? So, but the kids that have been – go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I was going to say, so did you find that your mental toughness was stronger than your physical toughness, certainly when you went dark and then uh, as you, you went through with your class? Yeah, I, I found that the training that the guys had given me had set me up, meaning miserable will not kill you. It just makes you miserable. And so when you train in pain and you train in miserableness, then when the coaches bring miserableness and pain on your life, you're not rocked because you've already made it your friend. Where others, it's the first time they've ever experienced it. And therefore, they crumble under, oh, my God, what is this thing? And they freak and they ring the bell or <laughs> they just quit. They emotionally just go bankrupt. And, and and so and is that a mantra yeah. that you've been able to carry through all your different endeavors? Yes. All right. So then, after the Air Force, what came next? I got out, and I went back to school. And when I went back to school, I read a Sports Illustrated article on this thing called "Toughest Endurance Event in the World," which was this Ironman. And that was Sports Illustrated 1979. And the first year was 1978 in Honolulu. And they wrote in 79 about year two. And I read that article. I said, hey, I can swim, bike, run. I'm a guard, you know, lifeguard, you know. And I was trying to be a role model for some athletes. And they thought I was old. You know, I came back to school at 27 and they were 18 and 19. They thought I, I lived in the athletic dorm with the athletes. And uh, they made me the RA of the dorm. <clears throat> And they just didn't really listen to me at all. <laughs> they thought I was just old. So I said, I'm going to put this in your face. So I started training with the cross-country team, university cross-country team. And sure enough, trained, blah, blah, blah. And so in 1980, just because it was there, and it was because it was people said you can't do it, I went over and did year three of Ironman. And that's when we still drank beers. We showed up in swim trunks. I borrowed a bicycle, wore a baseball cap. I ate sushi along the way. <laughs> there, there was a lot of characters in year three. And that was the last year that we were in Honolulu. The next year it moved to Kona and became the world championships. So pararescue set me up for the, the intensity of pain. When I trained for the Ironman, all I did was train like being a pararescue. I didn't know how to train like an athlete or a triathlete. So I just, I just put on some weights on my ankles and, I just begin to do stuff, you know, and knock out those runs. Anyway, and I found that I really liked being in that kind of shape. So I began to do local races, runs, and, you know, whatever they threw out there just to stay busy. I, I got married, had five kids, and part of my sanity was to get up early in the morning and get my workouts in before the, I went home and took one of them to school. And the day was just chaos, you know. The only thing I could control was my early morning. And so I made sure I got in the gym and, and worked out. And that became a lifestyle and a health thing. And so over the next 30 years, I just always enjoyed thinking early in the morning and processing and getting my day ready to go. And that meant that I went to the gym or I went on a long run or I did something. And so for people, people say to me, oh, you've always been an athlete type. 
I say, no, I've never won anything in high school. I never won a thing. <laughs> I've never been a first place guy. I've never, I've never, you know, been offered a scholarship someplace, but you find out that if you just sharpen your pencil long enough, you know, if you take, if you, if you put in your 10,000 hours to be a violinist or whatever, you will begin to grow. And as others fade, you find yourself still in the game. And so I find myself now still in the game and people make all these nice statements about me. <laughs> and I just say, you know, if you do anything long enough and consistent enough and eat right and break the food addiction, you can, you can do a lot more than people think or that you think you can do too. Did any of the five children follow in your footsteps in terms of healthy, physically active life? Yeah, my two boys, actually my whole family's pretty athletic and other kind of things, but my, I raised my kids at Lake Tahoe in Reno and we had a ski racing family. And by the time my boys were 18, they were physically disqualified from going in the military. <laughs> They'd had so many broken arms and collarbones and shoulder inju- injuries that when they said, we'll go military, military said, we don't want you. You're busted up. Oh, and my girls, my girls said, no, thanks. You know, dad, I think I'm going to do female things, blah, blah, blah. And so none of my five kids followed me in that way. But um, most of them are still in some way walking walking in physical fitness and, and health. And that's, a, that's a goal for them. Well, because it's interesting. I mean, I, the, the reason I ask is how much is the, the teaching that you now do handed down based upon your own experience? And, you know, you answered that, that, that there is maybe on varying degrees, but probably substantially more than if you had been more of a couch potato and not showcasing to them the path that, that, that you followed. Yeah, we tried to showcase health, athletics, and academics. And, you know... Did your any, kids game? Any, excuse me? Did your kids game? Did it, game? Yeah. Were they into video uh, games at all? No. Out of the five? Uh, yeah. Yeah. They Later on, when video games became big, my one son became, I would say, an addict. He would say he was just really good. And so... <laughs> but he's they've all grown out of that today, and they're... None of them are doing games as far as I know, except for maybe my oldest son with his new son. I think that they probably watch something on TV for little kids, you know, it's a game. But they're all pretty busy with life. They don't have a whole lot of time to be sitting around playing games. And and what what I find interesting in your story is, is here you are still later in life, very focused on continuing that. You know, I know why, why you're in Mammoth, but share what you're doing in Mammoth because I, I think it's powerful for for that generation. The, for the listeners, I am a coach, a paid coach at SealFit.com, and I leave here tomorrow morning, which is Friday, and uh, I drive down and we have our big event. We have three times a year. We have a six-hour nonstop, 12-hour nonstop, a 24-hour nonstop, and a 50-hour nonstop, no sleep, crucible events geared towards those who want to be in the military community. I'm a, I'm a coach there. And so I get these phone calls from people around the country. Hey, will you come in and train me for 12 straight hours? Or will you come give me a 24-hour workout? And I'll say, yeah, what kind of workout do you want? You got any mud? You got any water? You know? <laughs> so this last guy, and this will take me to Mammoth, but this last guy calls me up. And so I kept him soaked. 
from six o'clock at night in the mud till six o'clock the next morning, a dentist in Mississippi, <laughs> he flew me in and said, give me one of those workouts to see if I'm in the game for coming out there. So I said, all right, pay me. I, I flew back there, you know, his wife goes, what are you doing to him? Anyway, he made it the next morning and I think he's going to show up tomorrow and try to do the 24 hour. Well, these kids, this, these families and stuff up here at Mammoth contacted me. Hey, would you put together an obstacle course for our kids? I said, what's the age groups? Oh, you're like seven to 17. We have three different groups. And I said, sure, be happy to come up, talk to the kids, you know, mentor them. We'll be the parents watching. Um, please don't break their legs or ankles or anything. <laughs> and so this afternoon, that's why I have my coach shirt on here. I'm going to go be with these kids and do some yelling. And I'm going to be a nice yeller. I'm not going to be a mean Navy SEAL yeller. I'm going to be a nice yeller as a grandfather type. But I'm going to say, get your ass in gear. Let's go. And we have a mud pit for all the kids have to get through. And then the fire department up here is going to come and spray all the kids down before the obstacle course begins. <laughs> and so it's just really going to be a fun thing where I talk to these kids, you know, and look at them in the eye and you can do this. Let's not do something stupid, but let's have a great time. And there's some awards at the end. And if you're good, I'll talk to you some more. And we'll come back next sometime and do it again. So it's fun. I do a lot of work with high school students, university students, trying to encourage them to be all that they can be. And a lot of that is get off the couch, stop playing video games and exercise. Yeah, I was going to say, what's the message? Because you speak to youth, you know, from 7 to 17, very impressionable years. You certainly have the resume to speak to them about longevity and health and wellness and what have you. But if you had to codify the message that you give to these kids what is that yeah there's three things there's three things that i say number one is our mantra at seal fit or in the special ops community before there's the pain and the miserableness is that there's 20 times more potential in you everyone but you need someone to bring it out of you but you can't do it on your own why because pain you'll quit and so you need someone like an Olympian hires an Olympic coach. You know, you hire someone that, to take you the next four years through becoming what you are today. And it's going to be hard. And so we teach and we believe that at all ages, there's 20 times more potential in you than you are willing to walk in today. Because, again, you want to act your age. And so that's number one. And then we challenge everyone. Do you want, there's two people living inside you, the one that you're living and the one that you wish that you could be. And everything you want to become is outside your comfortability. And so for you to grow, you'll have to become uncomfortable. Our term would be miserable and we'd say pain, emotional pain, physical pain, social pain, whatever it is, you, know, you have to go dark, you, you focus, go into these pain moments and then you get out of them and you go, oh, it's not so bad once you get through it. So that's number one. Number two is, I talked to kids about bullying and I remember playing tetherball by myself, first grade, second grade, third grade, hitting that stupid yellow ball around the pole while all the kids were having a great time out on the playground. And I remember they weren't always real nice and I didn't like it. When I got to high school, our high school had for the county, all the disabled children. So they bust in on those yellow buses, right. the disabled kids to our high school. And I remember the blind kids and the quads and the para, para, paraplegics. I remember the different kinds of kids. Kids weren't always nice to them. 
like they'd open a door and a blind kid, the blind kid walk into the door and they'd all laugh, you know? And, and I remember that really bothered me. Like, and I got, I began to stand up as a water polo swimmer. Hey, don't mess with these folks. It's not right. They're, they don't deserve this stuff anyway. And I talk about what bullying does in school and being mean. So I talk about that. And then thirdly, I talk about don't compare yourself to anybody else. What we normally do is we go, I'm not as smart as that one. I'm not as pretty as that one. I'm not as handsome as that one. I'm not as tall. I'm not as short. And we always compare ourselves. And therefore, we look at someone else that seemingly has it all together. We say, well, I'm not like them, so I can't do it. And so we train young people, if you just be the best version of you and forget the people on the right and on the left, you know, they won't be that cool in 10 years. <laughs> yeah, that, is, that is true. I, I always think, you know, everyone in, in the course of their life has a couple of years of being at their zenith. And some of them got it in high school. And then when you see them at your 50th reunion, you realize, yeah, they had that zenith in high school and they're no longer on that mountain. And there is a way that the world kind of balances that out over time. But when you talk about the bullying, because in gaming, you know, bullying is pretty significant. And I just want to touch on that. When you talk to the kids and say, hey, you know, you shouldn't be bullying. Do you give them tips of how to stand up to it or how to change the conversation and, and uh, dilute the bullying? Or is it more of a lesson, don't be the bully? I talk about how uncool it really is to be the bully. And I talk about you know, what a bully does because he has something or she has something at the moment. And I try to have young people say, I don't want to be that person. And so I spend most of my time on the bully side, not the bullied. The teachers come alongside and they give the skills, what to do, how to handle that and what to say. They're far more equipped most of the time. I only have 20 minutes when I'm in an assembly. And so I just talk about, are there any bullies in this auditorium today? That's right. And they all, all look all around. Bullies, you know, all bullies stand up. <laughs> right. And I say, I say, how many jerks are in here today? <laughs> and anyway, we, we have, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it's fun to have the kids respond and then line up afterwards and want to talk and share. You know, can I tell you something? Eighth grade kid or, you know, it's sophomore high school or a senior. Um, this is what's going on in my life. And it makes you cry just yeah. to, to hear these kids, you know, this is what's really going on. I look good carrying these books, but this is what's really going on. Yeah, yeah. I just got back from a month in South Africa. I was I was in South Africa and I spoke to over 5,000 high school kids. Wow. And the, the crazy thing was that when I went over there, I went over to be a corporate speaker and then to speak to the national rugby team and to do these IT seminars for IT kind of guys, corporate things, a couple of military. And this one man said to me, would you talk to my high school? I said, what do you want me to say? I'm old. They won't listen to me. And they said, no, they'll listen to you. So I went to this one high school. It was a rugby, this number one rugby school, all these boys. And I talked. And wouldn't you know what? The principal called another principal, said, you need to have this guy. And that principal called another principal. All of a sudden, in the, in the month of speaking in South Africa, I spoke in like 12 high schools out of the clear blue. Do you have any time to go speak to this one? And over 5,000 kids. And they said, you do this all the time, don't you? And I say, well, Honestly, <laughs> at home, I do business, corporate training, kind of things and athletes and military. I've been university. I haven't gone back to high schools in a long time. So I've now made the thing I need 
I need to go back into high schools. There's a grace on me to do that, either as a ex, whatever I was in high school or as a grandparent, to go in and say, hey, you know, what's your deal? Get it together. You gotta do that. Don't be, don't be mean. In in the few minutes we have left before you go, get a bunch of high school kids muddy and dirty. I know you've you you're you're paddling in December. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it's something that is remarkable. I think it's it's fantastic. And off off the podcast, we'll talk about skins participating, which we're going to do. We'll figure out what that is. But I I want the people that listen and watch this podcast to see what you're doing one from the the physical test because it 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 seems pretty mind-boggling difficult at a minimum but more powerful is the reason that you do it you know i wanted a, a different kind of challenge i've done 12 ironmans i've done you know the seven 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 sub marathons in seven days on seven, seven continents I've, I've done all this endurance stuff but what happened was uh, I'm on the night crew down here this weekend. And the night crew is where we take the kids and put them in the ocean all night long. Okay. These candidates, you know, and we run them up Mount Palomar all night. So I'm up two nights in a row tomorrow night, and the next night running these candidates in the ground. Anyway, my teammate, it was a Navy SEAL master chief, which is the highest enlisted grade you can get in the Navy. And he was in 28 years, did a lot of deployments and been 12 years out. And he was my night guy. We would laugh, you know, he's 60 something, I'm 67. We just laugh, putting these kids in and out of the ocean, getting them sandy and wet, yelling at them, you know. So he goes dark on us and he's a normal guy going to church. He's helping other kids with PTSD issues and stuff. And somewhere he just gets depressed and blows his head off mm. about four months ago. Mm. And we all, all the coaches, all the Navy SEAL coaches, and myself, well, why didn't he talk to us? And he just locked up and rode his mountain bike up on a hill and got off and waited for whatever it was sunset and blew his head off. Mm. And and I've had a lot of guys commit suicide through the military and other things. And this time it really threw me over the edge. Like I need to do more. If I there's a lot of places to do something. And I felt I know so many good people that have committed suicide. Like we lose 18 a day in the military, 18 suicides a day, day in, day out, every day. And that's just mind boggling. Well, you come home with a lot of snakes in your head from deployments. Oh, yeah, I, and, that I understand. But but to lose that many without significant intervention just seems to be not only a missed opportunity, but a tragic opportunity. Tragic, tragic. So I said, I'm going to do something audacious. And so, as it turns out, I'm on a boat. I'm the only American on a boat. We're rowing from the Canary Islands off of Spain. We're rowing to Antigua in the Caribbean. It'll be 3,500 miles, and we'll do 40-plus days in a rowboat. There's no support boat out there. There's no one to, There's no way out there to check on you, see if you're okay. You got your satellite phone, and you talk to people every day, but you're on your own. Anyway, I'm doing the Mark Crampton Transatlantic Memorial Row, and I'm doing it on veteran suicide issues and veterans prevention. And I'm trying to raise a hundred thousand bucks for our foundation, Navy SEAL guys and stuff to, for us to hop in even more to say, we, we've, we must make a difference and get it to where these guys talk to somebody before they go kill themselves. And so I'm all in 
to make that thing happen. And most people said, Hey, you can't do it. You're too old. And I said, yeah, I got it. You know, I think the oldest guy to row across the Atlantic solo is 71. And so I'll be doing this at 71 and I'll be on a team of 12. And what you do is six row. If you ever look at university crew, right. you see the boats or so you have three port, you have starboard and port left and right. And our boat, there'll be six guys rowing at a time, three ports, three starboards. And you row an hour and a half on port. Then you scoot over and do an hour and a half on starboard. Then you sleep or eat for three hours. Then you come back. And so you do three hours on, three hours off every day, nonstop for the 40 some days. And I wanted the mental resiliency work also. If I'm going to teach these young people about mental strength, resiliency, mindfulness, I need to go show them that I can apply the stuff that I'm teaching to do this thing. And so it's, it's all fitting together, but mainly it's if the listeners want to help, but we're, we're trying to raise some funds for, again, our program here in Southern California, San Diego area, area of these, these vets that continually do these things like kill themselves. And we're going to make a dent at keeping that from happening. Well, we'll do what we can to support it. I appreciate the time. It's a great conversation. Continue that motivation. Continue staying in health. You're, you're an example not only to the youth, but to everybody else to kind of just do what you have to do to be the best version of yourself. And it's all within us to do that. And it's it, it's bet. good to be reminded of that by someone that also lives it. You know, I just turn on special, or, uh, Senior Olympics and, and I just watch what these old people are doing. I go, God, they can do some of that. I can do that, can I? Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple that do the 60-yard dash. They're both 100 years old. One's called lightning, one's called thunder. And you watch these two 60-year-old men at 100 years old. I mean, 100-year-old guys run in the 60-yard dash. You know, there goes lightning, there goes thunder. Oh, and I so just funny. think they're having so much fun. And I want to go out having fun. I don't want to, I don't want to be where I can't get on the ground with my grandkids. So it, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm trying to be a super athlete. I just, I'm just having fun staying in the game. And I hope the people listening will do the same. I'm sure they will. Robert, thank you. Have fun today. We'll certainly be in touch. I appreciate the time. Thank you, sir. Hi. Be well. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the MAP Esports Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Please be sure to leave us a review and follow us on your favorite podcast player.